0: Greetings and welcome to Community Conversations on LCC Connect. I'm your host, Bo Garcia, Dean of Community Education and Workforce Development at Lansing Community College. Community Conversations is a space where we explore workforce, business, and community development and discuss how they impact our quality of life and standard of living. Today, we'll be speaking with economist and renowned author, Dr. Charles Ballard. Dr. Ballard has been on the economics faculty at Michigan State University since 1983 when he received his Ph.D. from Stanford University. In 2007, he won the Outstanding Teacher Award in MSU's College of Social Science. From 2007 until 2020, he was director of the State of the State Survey in MSU's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He currently serves as chair of the Board of Directors of the Michigan League for Public Policy. He has served as a consultant with the U.S. Departments of Agriculture, Health and Human Services, and Treasury, and with research institutes in Australia, Denmark, and Finland. His books include Michigan at the Millennium and Michigan's Economic Future. Dr. Baylard, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, you know, certainly look forward to a conversation with you, especially during these highly transitional times in our global, national, state, regional economies, so many variables at play, and, and we just appreciate your time. So, you know, Dr. Baylor, earlier this week, Goldman Sachs uh, shared that they were projecting a 38% chance of a recession within the next two years. What do you believe uh, needs to happen to avoid something like that?
1: Well, uh, there's there's good news as well as bad news in that projection. They say, 38 percent chance of a recession within the next two years, uh, that means that there's a 62 percent chance of not having a recession within the next two years. Uh, So I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, but um, what needs to happen to avoid that? Well, uh, right now, we're seeing some inflation, and I think we'll get an opportunity to talk about the inflation a little bit later. But um, the Federal Reserve is uh, taking steps to try to uh, reduce that inflation, and the way they do that is to restrict credit. Mm-hmm. Um, they, um, they're trying to do that in an um, orderly manner. Uh, And in the best-case scenario, they'll be able to squeeze some of the inflation out of the economy without tipping the economy into a recession. Hmm. That's not an easy thing to do uh, because uh, we know the historical experience a lot of times when – most notably in 1979 and 80 and 81, the Federal Reserve – Put on the brakes to stamp out inflation. And it did stamp out inflation, but it also caused a deep recession. So mm-hmm. we'll see. On the others, the other thing that I think is so important remember mm-hmm. that a lot of this inflation is caused by shortages um, due to supply interruptions that have been caused by COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, the more people we can get vaccinated all around the world, the more we can uh, conquer COVID, mm-hmm. the more we can get. We'll, we'll be able to get back to normal in terms of the economy.
0: That is tremendous. So, to a significant degree, there's cause and effect in relation to, you know, COVID outcomes, supply chain, and and uh, and the inflation, the, uh, the inflation, etc. So, yeah, never a, never a missed link along that chain. Um, now, God forbid if if and when there was a recession, uh, what strengths and weaknesses? Do you think that the Mid Michigan region, in particular, has that would help it, you know, get get through uh, possibly one?
1: Well, um, you say the Mid Michigan region, um, but remember the region is made up of hundreds of thousands of individual people. Mm-hmm. My sense, if we have a recession, and I certainly hope we won't have one, but if we do. Uh, unfortunately, it's likely to be similar to past recessions in that those who are up at, at the top of the skill distribution will weather it pretty well. Mm-hmm. The people who are most vulnerable um, are the less skilled workers. And I know that uh, you at Lansing Community College are, are uh, part of this um big effort to improve the skills of our workforce because workers, workers who have special skills, they're going to be able to find employment, even in a downturn. The the people who are most vulnerable are the people who, uh, in, in many cases, they have, have not finished high school, or if they finished high school, they don't have anything beyond that. And they're, their employment opportunities in this modern dynamic economy of ours are more limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we've got a lot of strength in that we're a more skilled population than we were a mm-hmm. generation ago. Mm-hmm. I'd like us to become even yet more skilled.
0: Well, you know, so you're right. It it gets uh, it comes down to upskilling and and growing and investing in your own education and and even for those who may uh may feel that you know well I, I've been at work all all my career and, and have no education well you know at, at institutions of higher education there are opportunities for you know credit for prior learning so there's a tremendous opportunity to come back and and uh, have the experience that uh, individuals have had working considered uh, for academic credit to help them move them along uh, perhaps a path for a one-year certificate or two-year associate's degree, et cetera. So there's always an opportunity uh, for, for upskilling and, and uh, gaining um, uh, uh, value out of your experience. So thank you. That's a, that's a, an encouraging uh, uh, position. Uh, speaking of that, you know, what, uh, what, what discouraging or, or encouraging trends do you see emerging in the economy that, uh, May may should should give us confidence, or perhaps cause for concern in the future.
1: Well, you ask about discouraging trends and encouraging trends, and and let me start with encouraging. Uh, our economy is has continued to grow, even uh, after the uh, shutdowns of two years ago. Uh, our economy, the national economy, the Michigan economy. Are now bigger than they were pre-COVID. Um, we're continuing to add several hundred thousand jobs a month nationally uh, to our uh, employment roles. and and that's really a continuation of a very long trend. Mm-hmm. The American economy has been a an engine of growth, um, and I see no reason that that will uh, stop. Um, the the discouraging. And this really goes back over the last forty years or so. The discouraging trend is that all the economic growth that we've had in those last several decades, most of the fruits of that have gone to people who are in the top half, uh, and especially those who are in the the top ten percent, the top one percent of our um, income distribution. Uh, the, the CEOs, the uh, uh, the superstars. Um, the uh, the attorneys, the accountants, the the doctors, mm-hmm. and frankly, people like me PhDs in economics. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's a lot of people who have done very well, and yet the nurse's assistant, mm-hmm. the the man who installs the drywall, those folks have not fared nearly as well. In many cases, their incomes have uh, not grown or have even shrunk. In some cases, mm-hmm. and and so. One of the things that I have uh, beaten the drum about a great deal over the years is my concern that we're, we're more unequal in terms of the how we distribute the riches of this land, more unequal than I think we should be. And I think we should continue to make lots and lots of efforts to help um, ordinary folks, the, those at the top. I don't think they need a whole lot more help. They're doing well, um, but it's the the uh, the bottom half of Michigan's people, of the United States people. Th- those are the ones for whom I have the greatest concern and sympathy.
0: Mm, great point. Having a, a balanced you know population mitigates the risk of you know recession, inflation, adverse impact at a kind of a unilateral level. So it, it, it's it's good for quality of life and it's great for the economy. Thank you. Um, to the point, you now Michigan's experienced some pretty solid economic gains as of late. Uh, we've all been reading. and you know, what can be done to kind of continue that trend, uh, if you will, uh, across any spectrum?
1: Well, uh, you know if you if you've been having successes, uh, continue to to do some of the things that you've been doing. Uh, you know, we've talked about education and skill, and uh, mm-hmm. even though I don't think we're where we need to be, I think we've made. Uh, strides in in that direction. Um, we One big story in Michigan over the last really half century or even more is uh, we used to have a very undiversified economy, very heavily into manufacturing in general and auto industry in particular. Mm-hmm. We still, those are still the most important sectors in our economy. But they're less so. Mm-hmm. Um, they have shrunk in relative size, and 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 so we have a more diversified economy. And so I think that even though I'm, I want to hold on to our manufacturing, I also want to do all we can to find uh, new industries. There there are emerging industries, um, some of them right here in the Lansing area in mm-hmm. terms of uh, biotechnology, bioengineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, the information technology sector is continuing to just explode Uh, And if we can grab more of the growth, Mm -hmm. you know, like in IT, we know that the Silicon Valley in California and the Boston area and the Austin, Texas area, we know that those places are booming with IT. The more that we can get a lot of that stuff to happen in Michigan, the better off we'll be.
0: That's great. Yeah. That type of... um... Organic growth, as well as business attraction, diversification of our state's economy, regional economy. You know, to your point, again, a nice balanced approach so that we're not uh, entirely too dependent upon any particular industry. And again, making us particularly vulnerable for uh, 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 any type of uh, uh, economic downturn, uh, giving us a better shot of of, uh, weathering any type of storm. So thank you. That's excellent. Excellent. Um, Inflation. Could you share your thoughts and uh, the recent rate of inflation—it's everywhere in the news um in the papers. A lot of folks are just so concerned about it. Well, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, uh, the concern is is legitimate uh, because um, inflation—it um, it worries people. E- even even if you get a raise in your income that's fast enough to offset the inflation, I think uh, people just don't like the disruption that comes with seeing prices rise so where did the inflation come from uh, well actually a lot to a lot of economists the remarkable thing is that we didn't get inflation earlier because you get in you get inflation you get prices rising either because demand is really strong people have money and they want to buy stuff mm-hmm. and they're And they're pushing up the prices because they want to buy stuff or because the supply is limited uh, and there's just not enough to go around for the people who want to buy. Mm -hmm. Well, we have – in the United States, we have had extraordinarily expansionary – fiscal and monetary policies for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. We have pumped money into people's pockets. We have, I mean, a big part of it is that we um, have had tax cuts, but a lot of government spending. So the Mm -hmm. federal government is running enormous deficits. Mm -hmm. Well, that's partly to stimulate demand. Mm -hmm. And you might think that would be inflationary, but yet for all those years, it, prices didn't rise, and that's because the supply chain was so efficient. The growth of the Chinese economy and, and the production of low-cost goods, uh, the development of new technologies in the energy sector, um, the, the, the improvement of the efficiency of supply chains, the supply was able to keep up with the demand. Well, in the last two years, the, the stimulus checks and all that, stimulus checks, enhanced unemployment insurance, pumped money into people's pockets. They had money to spend, mm-hmm. but because of the COVID, there were restrictions on what they might be able to buy. There were a lot of things that you could just couldn't do. You know, you you, you used to just think not getting on an airplane and going somewhere, now we do think about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there were supply restrictions, but there was plenty of demand, plenty of money to spend, but Mm -hmm. interruptions in what they could spend on, and that is a formula for inflation. Now, I wish we hadn't passed some of the tax cuts that we passed years ago. Mm and I wish that we had been a little bit more targeted with the stimulus checks, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's history that I can't unravel. (laughs) And so I think what we're likely to see is, uh, some continued inflation. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's likely to accelerate. I think there's a good chance that it will moderate over the next year. Um, But there's a lot of question marks about it Mm -hmm. for reasons that we referred to earlier. Mm -hmm. How will the Federal Reserve's policy go? How will they be able to, to tap the brakes without stomping on the brakes and tipping us into a recession? And also, all of the supply interruptions that we've seen from COVID, will we be able to rebuild those supply chains? And how fast will we be able to rebuild those supply chains if we can do it The the better we can do it, the more we will see a a moderation of inflation. But, uh, you know, my crystal ball is kind of cloudy because uh, Mm -hmm. there are so many factors in play and uh, hard to tell exactly. Uh, If I were to put out my best guess, it'll be that inflation will moderate. But I think it'll take take years before we got to the 1% inflation that was so common in the – 90s and in this in this century.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow, That was incredibly insightful. Thank you. I mean some variables controllable. Many uncontrollable variables. You know um, so many dynamics in place you know globally nationally. I mean thank you. That was here's one. Yeah.
1: It was in the news just yesterday. There's a new strain of avian flu and uh, i think the latest number is that 23 million chickens have died um they've either died of this new strain of flu or they have um uh, been uh put down by to to try to stop the spread of the flu well what does that mean that means that there's going to be upward pressure on the price of chickens mm-hmm. and upward pressure on the price of eggs uh and that's you know the, that's one of those things that happen that we couldn't forecast with, with any precision, but it's going to have an effect.
0: Well, Again, just one of those, one more variable to consider that just come out of the blue. They just have to be yep. um, uh, contended with and mitigated. And uh, wow, such a, 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 so much forecasting needs to go into all of these um Decisions. You know, let's revisit for, for our final question, please. Something you mentioned earlier about economic inequality. Could you do? You have any additional thoughts you could share on the widening economic inequality that we've seen over the last forty years?
1: Yes, I, I would like to to do that. Uh, and the the main point that I want to make is that you, you know you, you we've talked about things that were unexpected, but. The the widening inequality of the last forty years um, was not really an accident. It was not really a surprise. It was the, the it was the result, in large part, of policies um, that we have enacted. Um, and I want to go back um, a, a little bit farther into American history. Uh, I think most Americans are aware that we've had widening inequality in the last forty years, mm-hmm. but. That great divergence, as it's called, is no bigger than a a movement in the opposite direction that happened especially in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, Mm -hmm. the great convergence. There was a huge decrease in income inequality in the early and middle decades of the 20th century, and then we turned around. Well, those, those trends are too big to have just been accidents. Mm-hmm. They're largely the result of policies. And back in the early part of the 20th century, we had phenomenal increase in educational opportunity. Mm-hmm. We had um, – very progressive tax system. We had the Fair Labor Standards Act, which established a minimum wage. We had the National Labor Relations Act, which made it easier for labor unions to organize. The list goes on and on. The Progressive Era and New Deal policies, Mm -hmm. if you want to simplify them, they were designed to help the average citizen. Mm -hmm. And they did. And then. About 40 years ago, we reversed. We slowed down on the rate of increase of educational opportunity. Right. We reversed the trend in progressive taxation. Right. We uh, Labor unions are much weaker than they were. Uh, right. The minimum wage in real terms is 25% less than it was in 1968. And again, the list goes on and on. One policy after another. Eighty years ago, we were passing policies that were really helpful to the broad mass of the population. In the last forty years, so many of our popul- uh, policies have been very helpful to those at the top, but not so much for the average citizen. And if, you know, you can tell by my tone of voice. If it were up to me, mm-hmm. I would um, increase the minimum wage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would expand the earned income tax credit. Mm-hmm. I would expand educational opportunity. Mm-hmm. I would make our tax system more progressive and so on mm-hmm. uh, it, it, with the aim of helping out the little guy just as mm-hmm. much as we help out the CEO.
0: Mm-hmm. Right on. Wow. That was phenomenal. I mean, that was, that was, first of all, I just want to thank you for one of the most informative and insightful conversations I've had in, 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 quite some time, And uh, Dr. Bale, thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing your expertise and insight with our community. Greatly appreciate it.
1: Well, you're welcome. And it's it's a pleasure to be on your program. And thank you for reaching out to me.
0: This has been your host, Bo Garcia. Thank you for the pleasure and privilege of your time. You can listen to LCC Connect Programming on 89.7 FM, Saturdays at 1 p.m. and Sundays at 6 p.m. Have a tremendous day.
2: Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Embracing diversity is a continuing process, one that requires honesty, cooperation, and meaningful conversations. At Lansing Community College, we understand our journey towards inclusion and equity begins with an examination of how we relate to one another. The Office of Diversity and Inclusion has partnered with the Office of Police and Public Safety to create We're Better Than That, an anti-bigotry campaign. To find out more about We're Better Than That, visit lcc.edu.
3: Nowadays, it seems like people believe they can do everything themselves, but while it's cool to do some things on your own, when it comes to the health of your teeth and gums, The do-it-yourself approach can leave you with very little to smile about. Trying to close a gap or straighten your teeth yourself can increase the risk of infection and serious damage to your teeth and gums, including tooth loss. Replacing lost teeth is expensive, and a person may require multiple replacements over the course of a lifetime. The American Association of Orthodontists wants everyone to know that moving teeth is a healthcare procedure. It needs the personal supervision of an expert. Orthodontists are experts in moving teeth and aligning jaws. They have two to three years of specialized education beyond dental school in an accredited orthodontic residency program. Your smile deserves a specialist. Orthodontists are the specialists who will make sure that your own smile is your best smile. For more, visit MyLifeMySmile.org. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides
4: scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu/scholarships.
5: LCC Connect Voices, Vibes, Vision.
6: This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. In 1918, Michigan peaches went to war. More precisely, peach pits served in World War I as an essential ingredient in gas masks. In 1915, the German army used chlorine gas on a large scale for the first time. France and England soon followed the German example. Chemical warfare became a standard element of the battlefield. Phosgene, usually mixed with chlorine, followed chlorine gas. Mustard gas that burned the skin, eyes, and lungs was introduced in 1917. Gas was tricky to use on the battlefield. A change in wind direction could blow it back on the attackers. Nevertheless, gas attacks terrified soldiers. And with good reason. Poison gas killed thousands of men. And incapacitated many more. By the time American doughboys arrived in France, mustard gas was the preferred chemical weapon. The U.S. Army issued gas masks to American soldiers. Gas masks used charcoal to filter the poison gas. The Army's Chemical Warfare Service found that fruit pits and nutshells made the best carbon for the purpose. In August 1918, the federal government called on Americans to collect them for gas masks. It was a daunting challenge. It took 200 peach pits, or seven pounds of nutshells, to make enough activated carbon for a single mask. In all, the Army would need a million pounds of raw material every day. All across America, people collected pits and shells. They gathered them from household kitchens, bakeries, restaurants, hotels, and railroad dining cars. Nearly every town set up barrels in stores, banks, and street corners, where people could deposit fruit pits. School children, Boy Scouts, and Girl Scouts went door to door to collect them. Their efforts succeeded. In October, schools in Goebbels sent in 600 pounds of pits and shells, Escanaba collected several hundred pounds of material, and the towns of Adrian and Hudson shipped more than half a ton. Days before the armistice, Saginaw boasted that it had collected five tons of pits and shells, Detroit sent in 40 tons, and Boy Scouts in Flint had gathered 3,811 pounds of material. Despite those efforts, the Army still required more to fill the need. The federal government bought coconut shells and brought in shiploads of the stuff. The armistice, signed on November 11, 1918, ended the fighting. A week later, on November 19, the government ended the pit and nutshell collection program. Michigan civilians were proud that they had done their bit to win the war. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org.
2: Sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at LCCConnect.org.
4: LCC Connect. Voices.
2: Vibes. Vision. The Lansing Community College Library offers comprehensive research assistance and provides students with 24-7 access to online academic materials. Fall registration opens April 25th. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong.
7: Hi, I'm Demi Lovato. I've always dreamt of using my voice to make a difference. What I didn't expect was that mental illness would get in my way. Living with bipolar disorder, there were so many times that I felt like I was alone. The hardest part was dealing with my bipolar depression. I finally hit rock bottom and decided to get help. Then slowly, things started to change. For me, it takes speaking up, finding the right treatment plan, taking care of myself, and getting back to what I love. After finding the right healthcare professional and opening up to family and friends, I realized that bipolar disorder may be a part of my life, but it isn't who I am. Living well is possible. Even though sometimes it seems like hard work, you're worth it. Visit BeVocalSpeakUp.com to use your voice to make a difference. That's bevocalspeakup.com.
2: Lansing Community College's downtown and West Campus offer newly renovated conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. Professional event planners are available to guide you through your experience from setup to catering. LCC offers convenient locations, state-of-the-art technology and hybrid meeting capabilities, in-house catering, free event parking, and on-site customer service. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces, or to request a rental quote, please contact LCC's conference services at lcc-events at lcc.edu LCC Connect Voices
3: Vibes
0: Vision
8: You're listening to LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode, I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. The LCC alumni community is expansive and far-reaching. They're an incredibly diverse group of people, representative of all walks of life, working in hundreds of industries across the country. LCC Alumni Stories shines a bright light on alumni who make positive contributions to their communities and showcases those who have overcome obstacles and barriers to achieve academic and personal success. These are their dynamic stories. My guest today is Chelsea Vann. She attended LCC as an international student from 1998 to 2001. Chelsea currently works as an academic success coach at LCC. Welcome to the show, Chelsea.
9: Hi, thank you, Dr. Robinson, and thank you for having me.
8: Oh, I'm delighted to have you, and uh, it's really wonderful to have you on the show, and I want to hear about your experience as a student, particularly as an international student, but before we get to your alumni story, tell me a little bit about what you do here at LCC. You are an academic success coach, right? Yes, I am. How long have you had that job?
9: I have that job since day one. I'm very fortunate to uh, be selected on a f- for the first five um hiring in. on, And so I started on February the 6th, um, 2017. And the five of us, I think now Sarah and I are the two original left.
8: That's fantastic. So uh, for our listeners, our academic success coach program is a few years old, but you were one of the very first. So one of the first five. Yes, I am. That's great. The original five. (laughs) So you've been with our academic success coaching program from the beginning. Tell me a little bit about how it's changed over the last five years or so.
9: The change is amazing. Mm-hmm. I witnessed a transformation of this program from scratch. Like we start from scratch, basically, right. um, and we aim to be a national model mm-hmm. um, for all community colleges. So it is amazing transformation from a team building, putting more staff in, up to eighteen coaches.
8: Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so we have we're at eighteen coaches right now.
9: Because there's a movement of um, staff resigning to go to another university, or they have opportunity and whatnot. But eighteen coaches, two managers, and a director.
8: Right, and so you you got to be there from the ground floor. You've seen it um, develop over time. Tell me about the impact of this program. What kinds of things do you and your colleagues do for our students?
9: The impact, I think, it's it's very significant. Mm-hmm. Because every single student that build a relationship with coaches and faculty members as well everyone told us that they are so glad that they have us here
4: mm-hmm.
9: to be a focal contact person for student but also a liaison between different departments, so we'll be able to provide students with wrap up service and student, many students, especially international student, global student community, keep telling me, like, I am so glad you're here to help me through the transition. And I love that part. That's a population, special population that I'm dealing with. So mm-hmm. um, international student and global student, but all the liberal arts students as well who's oh. under my... my um, um helping taking care of them.
8: Right. So I heard you say two things. One is that you provide focus for students, right? I'm assuming that's about their goals, the things they want to achieve here. But then you also use this important word liaison. You get to help that student connect with all the various pieces and parts of LCC, right? Because we're a big organization, lots of little um, departments and moving parts. You help kind of smooth that out for students, don't you?
9: Yes, yes, we do. We help students advocate for themselves, but also um, teach students not only just academic skill building, accountability, but also help them to um, ask for what they need, you know, be an advocate um, for themselves and I would say to many students like if you run into any issue or barrier on campus or off campus if you think of me I think I'm it's the it's program is very successful because I will help you navigate on campus and also off campus um, resources and I'll be your cheerleader I can be your accountability partner to make sure that you reach your potential and academic goal.
1: I
8: love all of that and and one thing I want to amplify from what you just said it sounds like you directly help students with these things but maybe more than that is you help them build capacity to do these things on their own
9: Yes we do I think because um from my experience I also work for uh, CAMWA, uh, Michigan Works. Oh, yeah. Um, so, CAMWA, right? Yes. That's a C-A-M-W-
8: C-A-M-W-S. C-A-M-W-S. Capital Area Michigan Works. I've I've been here for two years, but I'm still <laughs> learning all our acronyms, right? Yeah. CAMWA.
9: So, I I sometimes help student. We have a career services center, but I sometimes also take an opportunity to help students with employability. Mm-hmm. Um, not just academic skill, but life skills sometimes if they need it, and be a listening ear. And make them feel comfortable. And once they are in LCC, join your program, join our college, um, I want to make them feel comfortable and belong. So I think that's important.
8: I think it's important, too. That's our tagline, right? You belong here. Yes. So you mentioned that one of the student populations you work with is international global students. That's probably a good transition to talking about your story. You came to LCC as an international student in 1998. Yes. Yeah, tell me that story. How did you come to LCC? Where did you come from? And what was that like for you?
9: I um, originally came from Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And I worked for um, the US government before I came here called United States Agency for International Development. Okay. That's how I um, made connection to my former boss, where she would like to help support women, to empower women. So she, she said, you need to um, study and take the test, TOEFL test, and try to study abroad, go to the U.S. and be an international student there. So I did that, and she sponsored, and so I came in in the fall 1998 to LCC. I started my uh, first semester at LCC as an international student. So
8: you worked for USAID, right? right yep. yes. huh. And did you come straight to Michigan, or were you in a different part of the country coming uh, from Phnom
9: Penh? I came, actually, yes. I came first to Houston, Texas. Really? I have an uncle and aunt that um, migrate um, after the genocide um, in the 80s to Houston. So they live in Katy, actually. Katy, Texas, 45 minutes outside of Houston. Right. And I was there for two semester on my intensive English. And apparently uh things didn't work out. Um they couldn't support, so I I call up my former boss, uh Tara and said I didn't want to return home and I would like to pursue my higher education. How and how would I do that? Um they said, Don't worry, just come to Lansing, Michigan, go to LCC and look for a job and we'll oh, help you out. So they put me up, provide me room and board until I complete my a social degree at LCC and also earn my bachelor from Michigan State.
8: That is fantastic and and I want to hear more about that. You did mention though the very very tumultuous and terrible times in your in your home country, right? So, yes. I'm am, am, am I right in assuming that the the genocide and the tragedy that happened in in Cambodia had something to do with you re- relocating to the United States where you, um, w- was th- was it after that that you and your family yes. came?
9: Yes, the um, the Khmer Rouge, um genocide took over right um, April nineteen seventy five, mm-hmm. and it lasted until January nineteen seventy nine. That's when everything demolished. We returned to year zero. No, I think we had like ten professors left for the whole country.
8: It was a purge of it, of that yes. society, was A society,
9: wasn't it? academic, and all of that. So that's when I lost my only brother and my father and my mother with four daughters after oh, the Chelsea, war.
8: I'm so sorry. And that's I, okay. Yeah, I, and I I know that's part of your story. I'm sorry to dwell on it, but uh, it it seems that you uh, coming here was a real transformation for for you, right after yes. that after the almost unimaginable tragedy of, yes. of, what, of what happened in the 70s. Um, so so you, first you come to Texas, and then there's great opportunity for you in Lansing. Um, tell me about your first days here. What was it like as an international student uh, here when you arrived in, in, in the late 90s?
9: It was very exciting. Okay. It was very exciting. I remember when the plane landed in Houston, was like wow, this is America. Even at night, it looks kind of excited. So, um, yes, and it's like, and before I know it, wow, it's it's as hot as Houston, as hot as Cambodia. But um, I love my classes that um, in um, like community Houston Community College mm-hmm. as well that I attended, and I love those classes.
8: And Houston Community College is big. Yes. I just, just this last weekend, this last week I was at a conference. I spent most of it with the current chancellor of Houston Community College. He told me that at one point they had uh, well over 100,000 students. Wow. I mean, far in excess of that. It's a huge system. So you started taking classes there, but then you relocated to Lansing.
9: I relocated to Lansing. Um, I didn't know anything about the family I'm about to live with, and also know nothing about Michigan weather, so I'm in a nice surprise when it's snow. I've never seen snow in my life, so. Very
8: different from Cambodia and Very Houston. Very different,
9: and Houston, mm-hmm. so, but I was so excited, so my host parent, Roberta, she brought me the next week to LCC and register, and then look for a job right away, so I found a job to work for a student affairs office with a dean's office as a student employee. So
8: you worked here in I addition worked. to going to yes, school. I that, worked. That's a wonderful story. Thank so what you. did you study, and what was your associate's degree in?
9: I was not sure what I would like to do, so I was I was just tested out. Like what I know, what I would like for a bachelor degree, but uh, for an associate, I was like, I just need to take all the classes and see if I can transfer to Michigan State University. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, after a year of language study and also two years, I received my associate degree and um, it's undecided at that time. It should okay. be liberal arts, but it's undecided okay. at that time. So it's like a, transfer, a general
8: studies. General studies, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And uh what was the transition like your transfer experience from here to Michigan State?
9: It was um a little bit of a shock for the classroom and an auditorium size from yeah. a one-on-one. I took um, classes
8: in those where I'm also an alum of Michigan State. Big, big lecture halls, hundreds of people, right? Yes, yes. So that must have d- been different.
9: It was, it was different, and but the James Madison College for um, the university, mm-hmm. um, it's small enough. I don't live in a dorm like other students, so I don't really build connection there. But I have. Um, a community at the Writing Center because before I leave LCC I also work at the Writing Center with Jill Yeah. So I transferred to the Writing Center at MSU and I have another community and friend there so I spend a lot of time hanging out at the Writing Center and provide tutoring with writing.
8: We have that in common. Not, <laughs> not only do I know Professor Recklin really well, we worked together at another community college where I worked at the Writing Center and I when I was a student at Michigan State, I made use of the writing center as well. So not only did I work in one, I I used one. So we have that in common. So, um, so your uh, your bachelor's is James Madison.
9: Yes, I. What a
8: great place! You.
9: I received a bachelor in international relations in I think their work from USAID and seven years of nonprofit organization before I joined USAID. I worked for seven years after my high school in 1990. So. It's it provide me the foundation and also allow me to want to be in that profession.
8: Right. Well, and I can I can picture because I had lots of friends uh, at James Madison. I actually had a writing gig over there in one of the research institutes when I was a grad student. You must have been a real source of knowledge among your students, right? Because a lot of the James Madison students are probably have, have you know maybe from you know the united states from michigan have a have a pretty standard background trad- traditional college age right and you come to an international studies program with not just an international background but a really comprehensive one having worked at USAID and and made your journey from cambodia to here did you did you find your professors to be very interested in your background
9: yes we have interesting class discussions um because i think one of the uh, minors. I think I have a minor in um, political and social economic development in the third world, or I shouldn't call it the third world yeah, in South Asia, a, we have, we have, developing yeah, right. country, developing, or country, or developing uh, country, developing country. We'd have
8: to ask our faculty what the what the appropriate term is now. But I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. The developing world, or, or or in that part of the world,
9: the less developed country. There we
8: go. So mm-hmm.
9: it was we we create good good debate, good discussion in class. So I really enjoy my time there. It's it's difficult. Um, it's challenging for me because the language skill, I have to say, sometimes I pull an all-nighter writing essays for <laughs> for my classes uh-huh. or exit papers and stuff like that. But it's a well of knowledge All the professor around there, too. Um, and I can go back and talk a little bit about my experience, actually, um, the three year at LCC as well, if you'd like to Yeah, I I would, I
8: would. So, but it sounds like on the language front that you made use of the writing center at both LCC and Michigan State. Talk to me a little bit about those years at LCC, though. So, um, you know, this is before you transferred to James Madison. Uh, What was it like being a student? What kind of uh, support and help did you get here to help you be successful as an international student?
9: It It is amazing. It was amazing support. I... I wouldn't make it to MSU if I did not have the support of LCC community and my host family. Mm-hmm. I'm an, also a recipient of um, the Foundation Scholarship.
8: Excellent. So
9: I'm grateful for that. And all the professors at LCC that I um, take classes from, they, they care. Yes. So I remember my first year, I can list all my uh, professor for reading and writing classes, like, Professor Steve Robbins Hopkins, um, Dr. Alan Mars, and Trudy Carpenter is one of the special instructors for my uh, confidential and writing class. That's where I produce a piece where i submitted she encouraged me to submit it for a competition that's how it got published in the college textbook writing
8: wait a minute we need to talk about that so one of your professors encouraged you to enter a writing competition yes right and you shared with me that when you were an lcc student that i i'm imagining that writing wasn't the the most comfortable that you no. didn't probably did not view it as a strength of yours right
9: no no, no. so
8: Talk to me about this writing contest. What did your professor encourage you to do? And I'd love to hear the story.
9: I love it. It's it's like a second semester in the very first basic writing class. So I wrote a piece about the challenges I've overcome to come to the U.S. to earn a higher education. Uh-huh. So when Trudy read the piece, she encouraged me. She cared. She encouraged me to put into publication, to compete for publication with the Townsend Press Foundation, okay. where they publish a couple versions of it. And um, so I did, and I won a second prize for that. And they gave, I think it's a lot at that time, for $1,500 toward scholarship towards school.
8: That is a good, that's yes. a great writing award. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank
9: you. And they also gave you like a royalty, you call it, right? Mm-hmm, they, when sure. they publish, yeah. um, every time they publish, they will... Give you a little bit of money on the side for that. That's
8: because you're a published author. That's <laughs> Thank real you. work that you did.
9: I'm so grateful for her and the next writing class, also um, writing one one twenty one and one thirty 130, one thirty two, which mm-hmm. is a um, honor composition with uh, Professor Tim Mings, also amazing. But mm-hmm. truly cares so much, not just encouraged me to apply. So happy when I won it, and I think it's her father. I'm not sure also provide scholarship money. It's anonymous, so I am so thankful. So that is like a full support from many instructors, um, colleagues that I build a relationship with. That's how I came back to work here, It's it's amazing.
8: I, I love hearing stories like that, and there are a couple things that really kind of warm my heart about what you shared with me. First is at any community college, but particularly LCC, you encounter these very caring people, caring faculty, caring staff. And you, it, it sounds like you weren't, you weren't even done listing people, right? You had all these folks who helped you out, and they made a real difference in your life.
9: They do. Like Professor Jill Recklin was in. I was introduced to her by um, my writing instructor, mm-hmm. So that's how I connected and, and work at the writing center with the grade that you're in, and you can compete to apply for the writing center. So that's where I work and also build a relationship with her, uh-huh. and we become. Colleague and friend,
8: that I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> so the the one thing I would tell you, you know, I know you've already figured this out, is uh, one of the one of the most moving ways to pay tribute or to give thanks to to folks who help you out like that, is to do amazing work like you're doing. I know for Thank a fact you. that all these professors and staff members that you talked about their very favorite thing is seeing you grow and develop and achieve your goals. And boy, you sure have done that. So I'm sure sure you've made them very happy. But I wanted to come back to that colleague piece. Not only did you um, benefit from their help and develop and succeed, but you came back and you're one of their colleagues now. What's it like to work alongside these folks who helped you get where you are today?
9: It's exciting and, and such an honor. When I came back, I think that's how I also re- told students many times that during your time here, be active, get involved. If you work on campus, it's an opportunity to networking and build relationships. Mm-hmm. You never know. One day you will be able to, you know, come back and and re rejoin the organization and or the institution. So um yes, so I came back um in twenty fourteen, May. Mm-hmm. And I worked for Professor Jim Recklin again in the Writing Center. Excellent. For almost a year before I joined the Learning Commons um, to be a professional tutor for their reading, writing, and ESOL classes.
8: Wow, oh, we are so glad you're back, and it's a Thank wonderful, you. wonderful story. You know, before we end our conversation, Chelsea, you know, as we as we move through this phase of the pandemic, one of the things that a number of us are thinking about is ways to attract students who wouldn't necessarily come to LCC and i wonder what your thoughts are about um how we can be supportive of and attractive to international students you have a special lens on this given your own experience what kinds of things do we need to make sure we're doing to be attractive to international students
9: i i love the question and i think we have many opportunity to uh, to do that mm-hmm. um just um a little bit of marketing also it helps. Okay. Um we once the campus open fully again,
4: mm-hmm.
9: um, anything with international club that uh, invite invites students to join and share the experience with the local student. Um but also we are smaller campus like smaller institution compared to a four-year university, so we provide a one-on-one closer like type kind of education that um not they are not just a number right so and i think the price you can't beat community college for the price that you start and here and it's a great place to transfer to um take all the classes you want and then transfer to at a university with a decent cost
8: so one of the things I hear you saying is that we should probably toot our own horn about some things that we yes. already have going for us, yes. right? Smaller class size, uh very uh you know, superior wrap around services. Yes. Um but also um something that's maybe a little more informal and a little smaller than a big research university.
9: Yes, that's what we do. We have I I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything on my journey here and I would tell student international students that I work with, like if they were talking about, I would like my brother and sister and my friend to attend, I'm like, yes, this is the right, this is the right move. Um, please do, from my experience, you benefit greatly. Um, great education, great quality education when professors and instructors that care so much about you, not just, you know, you're not just a number, but they care not just about your academic, but they want to see you grow. And. Be um, successful um, on your endeavor.
8: Yeah, and we do. We really, really do. And I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, in the coming years, uh, I'm very interested to see how LCC can grow and develop in these areas, uh, particularly with international students. Either attracting international students here, um, or providing international study away, study abroad programs for existing students, and then in in another way. I think it's important that we have activities uh, about our global context and our international um, situation or context for all students. So that we can see that there is a world outside of Lansing Community College.
9: Definitely. Definitely. It's a cultural exchange. It's a huge uh, benefit.
8: Well, speaking of huge benefit, we benefit hugely from you being here, Chelsea. So thank not you. only because of your international experience, but because of your story. I really think that that your journey of, from, from Cambodia to Houston to Lansing and LCC and then on to Michigan State, that really helps our students. So I really want to say thank you for all that you do for our students and for coming back.
9: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah,
8: LCC Alumni Stories is recorded, engineered, and produced by Steve Robinson on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack is licensed through DeWolf Music and was performed by Ian McCanty. Thanks for listening. Tune in to future episodes and to learn more about what our alumni have been up to. If you're an LCC alum and you want to share your story, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. This has been LCC Connect, Voices, Vibes, Vision.
2: Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org.
9: LCC.
3: Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
4: Lansing Community College students now have the option to go beyond an associate degree through LCC's University Center The University Center is a partnership between LCC and five four-year universities. Located on LCC's downtown campus, these universities offer junior and senior level courses, leading to more than 30 bachelor's degrees, several post-baccalaureate certificates, and options to obtain a master's degree. Current and former LCC students can take advantage of the convenient location at the corner of Capitol Avenue and Shiawassee Street on LCC's downtown campus. To find out more about the University Center, visit lcc.edu. LCC. Connect.
0: Voices. Vibes. Vision.
5: Welcome to Arts Connect at LCC, an arts hub of LCC events open to the entire community. Coming up, the Washington Square Review, LCC's literary journal, relaunches with a virtual reading Tuesday, April 19th at 6 p.m., open to all. LCC's music ensembles are on the move. Catch some great concerts around town. The LCC Jazz Band will be at Williamston High School on Wednesday, April 20th at 7 p.m. Then on Saturday, April 30th, they perform at the Hastings Jazz Festival at noon. The LCC Rock Band plays at the Avenue in Lansing from 6 to 8 p.m. Sunday, May 1st. and There may be some surprise guests. Interested in being on stage? Come audition for LCC's Summer Stage Festival shows Romeo and Juliet on Wednesday, April 20th from 4 to 7 p.m., and Wiley and the Harry Man the following Wednesday, April 27th from 5 to 7 p.m., both in the Black Box Theater in the Gannon Building. These are just a few of the great things in the mix. Explore all of Lansing Community College's abundant arts activities, academic programs, and more, and experience the power of the arts to connect. Visit lcc.edu slash for dates, times, locations, and links.
2: This is LCC Connect.
5: Voices. Vibes.
2: Vision.
4: Founded in
7: 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan Industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities, with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in physics, I learned that I'm a
4: loser. Today in school, I learned that I'm ugly and useless. And in gym,
9: I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. In history, I learned that I'm trash.
7: Today in school, I learned that I have no friends. friends. In In English, I learned that I I make people sick. And And at lunch, I learned that I sit on my own because I smell. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In biology, I learned that I'm fat
6: and stupid.
7: And in math, I I learned that I'm trash. The only thing I didn't learn in school today... The only thing I didn't learn today... The only thing I didn't
2: learn...
3: is why no one ever helps.
2: Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov, a message from the Ad Council. Thank you for listening to LCC Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz and I host a show called The Safety Plan. The Safety Plan is about the latest cyber scams and how to avoid them. You can catch The Safety Plan here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org.
4: For over 30 years, Ellie's Place has provided grief support to children and teens at no cost to families. Serving over 31,000 individuals in the capital region, They offer peer-to-peer support groups that provide a safe place for individuals to talk about the death of someone near them while working through their feelings and emotions as they learn to embrace loss. We're a stronger community when we care for each other. For more information and grief resources, visit elliesplace.org.